What's going on guys? It's UFC Vegas 33 recap. Oh, wish this one could be a lot happier than it is. Unfortunately, you know, everybody kind of knew going into this week that this card was just greasy and probably going to be a landmine and probably going to blow up right in our faces. But ah, we're fight fans. We're going to watch it anyways. And just as it progressively got closer, all the spots that you did like ended up getting canceled. There was talks of cancellations. There was opponent switches. And by the time it actually came together, we're forcing a lot of spots. So listen, I'm as guilty as it of it as anybody i mean to have rafa garcia at the top of any parlay to have rafa garcia as a three to one in any spot not just saying that he lost this fight against grutzmacher i just mean in general like it's very low level mma and we're paying big prices on it and we had to trust certain people in certain spots so universally i mean this is a really tough card to get after entertainment wise awesome as far as being a fight fan goes this is why we do it we love fights like this we love action like this we love the quick finishes. We love the spectacular, you know, uh, entertainment that the, the fights had. But man, from a betting standpoint, woof. So starting at the bottom, funny enough, so we got the first two fights on the card right, and we got the last two fights on the card right. <laughs> Everything in between was a shit sandwich. So anyways, kicking it off, Philip Rowe versus Orion Kosk, Orion Kosky, sorry. Um, Orion Kosky, listen, big, strong, kind of like his brother. In many ways, both him and his brother, twins, undefeated, big, strong guys, physical, um, they do a lot of good stuff in there, but they're fighting limited competition and they look great fighting limited competition when they were both on the contender series. Again, didn't look spectacular. You're fighting low level contender series guys, guys fighting for a contract in the UFC, but they get the job done. They get the finishes. They get the contracts during the UFC. We kind of had to base a little bit of this guy's game based on his brother Lewis's game and his brother Lewis's game, big, strong, physical, but got tired. And I mean, got tired fast when he fought uh, Sasha Plutnikov. <clears throat> and then once he got tired, his game completely fell apart. All of a sudden, oh, geez, is, is, does he have a durability issue? Maybe, maybe not. But when you're tired and you're hurt and you're getting hit, not going to go very well. In his case, that's pretty much exactly what happened. So we had to base a lot of that on Orion. We ended up taking the underdog pick in Philip Rowe. Rowe actually did miss weight as well, coming in at 173. But shit, that was an advantage. You know, who's going to have more gas in the tank the later this fight goes? The guy that actually made weight? Yeah, or the guy that came in three pounds overweight. You know, probably the guy three pounds overweight. As far as what was Orion's best path to victory, he was probably going to take Roe down and grind him. Dude has a massive reach advantage. He's a long limb fighter. Uh, he's, he's a tricky fighter. So take him down and neutralize him. But him having the extra weight, all of that stuff plays in for Roe. So we got him at dog money earlier in the week. He went off at dog money still. You could have him the whole way through. And uh, again, Orion was just like his brother. He had a good first round. Not a great first round. He mostly just pressed um, row into the cage kind of neutralized him grind him the striking stats were abysmal it was like seven to three for orion but he did win the round but at the end of that round not much happened he didn't overexert himself but you can tell he's already getting tired and philip Rowe has the striking advantage if this fight's not ending up on the ground Rowe's going to give him a lot of problems and that tie clinch you just you saw a little glimpse of it in the first round it was like oh geez you know what when he goes full tie clinch those knees right up the middle it was like a uh, bum version of anderson silva versus rich franklin Rich just couldn't get out of the way. It was the same thing with Orion. So in the second round, Philip Rowe just takes over, gets the job done, hits as a dog. I mean, if you were playing him, you were playing him inside the distance, and you were definitely hitting that under two and a half, which is what something Paul and I spoke about earlier in the week. All of Philip Rowe's wins inside the distance. All of Orion Koski's wins inside the distance. So this fight was always going to end inside the distance. It just depended on what side you were on. And especially with that weight miss, it just seems like it was Philip Rowe. And this is good for Rowe as well. He needed a victory in the UFC. People are not familiar with Gabe Green, so they're quick to kind of write him off. 
And he needs to start making weight at the very least. But he's a fun fighter. He's tricky off his back. He's got solid jiu-jitsu. He's working out with, you know, Rodolfo Vieira and Jacare Souza and a lot of high-level grapplers, specifically working on that grappling game. But you see what he brings also to the striking as well. Huge long arms, you know, nice jab from the outside, nice, decent kicks, knees up the middle. You know, could be a fun fighter. For Koski, he's not UFC caliber. Him and his brother are not UFC caliber. Not saying they can't win fights in the UFC, but not many of them. I mean, these guys are very green still. They need to go back to the regional scene. They'd fit a lot better in with like an LFA organization where you could slowly develop the level of talent and, you know, let them fight some old washed up Brazilians. Let's fight, let them fight some, you know, some young up and comers from the Midwest, but really develop their game and round it out. As far as being in the UFC goes, Philip Rowe does represent pretty much that lower level opponent that you're going to get matched up with. And so for the Koskis, like not a good start. They're also both full-time out of team alpha male right now. So it's not like it's a lack of training. That's not getting them prepared. I just don't think they're all that skilled. So anyways, we were happy to get that one, right? Cause it was like one of four that we got right on the entire card. So then moving on, we got Zaruk Adeshev versus Ryan Bunnoit. Uh, this one was comical online because apparently if you bet Ryan Bunnoit, then Zaruk Adeshev was just running the entire time and terrible fighter. And he should still be caught and didn't make a fan out of me. And I, I, I honestly did not mind what this guy did whatsoever. I mean, you have to look at the fact that Ryan Bunnoit walked face first into all these punches. He did not cut any angles. He basically chased him around hands low and wasn't throwing back so it's a kind of a difficult difficult style to deal with what are you supposed to do you're supposed to just stand there and slug it out with him no you move you you counter and you move and that's all he did for 15 straight minutes i mean foreshadowing what would come later on if brian barberina versus jason witt if jason witt chooses to stand there and brawl with him which he almost did you get knocked out if you touch the guy and run and shoot a takedown like are you fighting a coward's fight no you're fighting a winning fight that's doing what you need to do to win and this is the exact same thing. I mean, Zaruk Adeshev, I thought his striking looked pretty good. When he was abil his ability to just touch him and move out of the way, it was just like it was frustrating Bunway right from the get-go. He tripled him up, I think. Let me bring up the official stat. He basically tripled him up in every round in terms of the significant striking. Overall, outstruck him 78-37. to Bunway did score a knockdown. But again, in the first round, you got a 25-14 to Adeshev, 25-9 to Adeshev in the second, 27-14 to Adeshev in the third. And that doesn't speak to the fact that it actually was a really close fight. It actually was a very close competitive fight. <clears throat> but uh, but definitely Adeshev was the winner. And again, I don't think he did anything wrong. I mean, he fought a pretty smart game plan. I'm, to, it, to me, it wasn't running. To me, it wasn't boring. He still went out there and landed 17 significant strikes and uh, was throwing a lot of heat on a lot of those. Now, Bunnoit, the fault with Bunnoit is one terrible game plan to just chase this guy down with your hands low and eat two or three punches for every one that you were able to land back. Yes, he did have a power advantage, but when it failed to capitalize and knock out Adeshev, it just didn't work. But the guy actually has a wrestling background, knows how to wrestle, a standout high school wrestler in Texas. And yet all, he comes into these fights and just has an unwillingness to wrestle. I mean, he did attempt, uh, as far as the takedowns, he attempted one. He attempted one. It was like a half-hearted shot in, and then that was it. And then as soon as he did not get that one singular takedown attempt, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to run face first in this guy. Adeshev, meanwhile, not, not a wrestler right? Not a, not a great grappler by any stretch, is known as a primary striker and is having the fight he wants. He's backpedaling and landing counters. Perfect. This is a great fight. He's the one that attempted four takedowns, didn't get any of them, but it's like mixing it in, keeping your opponent guessing, that's great. What Bunnoit did was do the exact same thing for 15 minutes and that's try to zombie him. He just walked with his hands down straight forward and uh, was a lot of feint and a lot of dipping and didn't actually throw anything. He looked like Dominant Cruz in a neck brace, you know, like he was moving, but his head wasn't moving. And as a result, he just got intercepted the whole way. So anyways, we got a second dog hit in a row there in Zaruk Adeshev. And as far as I'm concerned at this point, then I'm like, oh, 
things are shaping up pretty good. We got back-to-back dog hits. Now, hopefully, the favorites start winning. Anyways, it just being a dog's a barking card. That's what it ended up being. But at the time, we were feeling pretty good. Moving on, we got Jinyu Frey, Ashley Yonder. This is another testament to how bad this card was, is that we had to have more faith in Ashley Yotter than we would probably ever want to. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pundit of, I think she's kind of washed. She's 33 years old, but her last two fights in particular, she just doesn't look herself. She's not very fast. She's super slow in there. And just everything's almost telegraphed and you see it coming from a mile away. I mean, I seen some people saying she's not a great athlete. I wouldn't say she's not athletic. It's just like everything seems very slow. She doesn't sit down on any of her punches. Nothing. There's no power whatsoever coming from her. I know she did sting Jinyu Frey, but you saw it with just like one good shot landed. Then Jinyu Frey would immediately recover and start walking her down again. And Ashley Yotter would just, I don't know. It was a, it was a weird fight to watch all in all. Actually, uh, the reason why I'm in this different setup, I guess I forgot. I should have mentioned it, but I'm visiting my grandparents this weekend. So I always go up on my birthday weekends, a long weekend up here in Canada. So go to visit them. And I actually happened to watch this one fight with my grandfather. And he says, I don't really like this fight. So no, grandpa, I don't like this fight. He says, uh, no, no, the, the girl in the white looks scared. What do you mean she looks scared, grandpa? You know, it's a fight. She's fine. This is her 10th fight in the UFC. He's like, yeah, she, she looks scared to me. So now I'm watching it and it's, He's almost right. By the numbers, she actually outlanded Jinyu Frey, but she pulls on everything. She doesn't want to get hit. When she doesn't get hit, she just stumbles backwards. The wrestling was completely rendered neutralized, and I know you can give her a pass in the last fight because it's Angela Hill. You know, they'd fought once before. Hill figured out her number. It was pretty solid. Uh, but she's not making any improvements whatsoever. This has been the exact same version of her every time out. She's had 10 fights in the UFC now. All 10 of them have gone to decision you might be able to reckon that maybe two of them were entertaining. It's not super entertaining. The wrestling's almost non-existent. We keep talking about how the fact that she's got good grappling if the fight was to hit the ground, but when it does hit the ground, there's no submissions, right? It's very hard for her to hold down her opponents. And when she stands up, it's the same two things. Now, I'll give her credit where credit's due, right? She did land a couple of nice right hands and definitely got the attention, but she just spammed the exact same strike. Look at the second round is a great example. So she, first round's competitive, I would lean towards Jin Yu Frey, but I've seen some people scoring it for Yotter, so fair enough. We got a potentially up in the air first round. That second round, she just walked into all of Jin Yu Frey's shots, but then the last like 45 seconds of the round, she gets a hell of, I believe it was a left hand in, Boom gets Frey's attention, and then just threw the exact same punch 10 times in a row. And Jin Yu Frey eventually was just like, oh, she's just throwing the exact same punch, gets out of the way, figures it out. And then the third round is the same thing. Like, she was a one-and-done fighter. She had one punch. She had one kick. That was it. Backpedal out. So I think it was just a tough outing for Yotter. I'm probably being a little harsher than I need to be on that, or maybe I feel a little stronger than in all actuality. Hey, let's give her another pass. But it hasn't been a very pretty run, the last run of fights for her. I don't see her making any improvements. And she just struggled mightily and got beat up by a 105-pound woman who campaigns as a 115er, but was much smaller than her, was giving her the grappling advantage, was not known to throw any strikes, right? I mean, she had averaged 25 strikes in her first fight, 26 strikes in her second fight, 25 strikes in her third fight in the UFC, and then in this one goes off and lands like 88 significant. Why, why, why is that? Well, that's because you're fighting Ashley Yoder. So, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a great outing for Yoder. Jin Yufrey uh, didn't need this because she's coming off a win, but this makes her 2-2 two and two in the UFC, and she wants to continue her career. She wants meaningful fights, and she wants to show that she's making improvements. This was a good way. You know, this is pretty solid. The knock on her was she wasn't throwing her hands, letting her hands go or throwing any volume. And she did that here. Takedown defense looked pretty solid here. Um, you know, when her eye did start to get swell up or she did get tagged with a couple decent shots, she come back right through it. Cardio looked really good. She was uh, pressing forward a lot. 
there's a lot that you can like at a genuine there. So if they're going to keep giving you dog money on her, because you always get dog money on her, worth it. As a favorite, I might not be so confident in that. But again, depends on the opponent. So that's officially our first loss. And then we got Danny Chavez, Kai Kamaka. So yeah, I like Danny Chavez here. I don't think he's going to get taken down by Kai Kamaka. I think the light kicks will add up. I think that Kai Kamaka's cardio is going to fall off a cliff. Uh, okay, this one should be good. Oof, oof, not good. Not good at all. Uh, ended up getting a draw. That's cool. First round, super close and competitive. Uh, it seems like Kamaka's macking him up, but Chavez is landing some good strikes of his own. I mean, he's a lot more explosive than Kamaka is, but his problem is that he would explode in with one or two big shots where Kai Kamaka was putting money in the bank. They're both landing good leg kicks, and whereas I thought that would be the advantage for Chavez, Kamaka's landing a lot more of them. Again, I thought Danny Chavez did a good job of his mobility never really got limited by any of those leg kicks, but he started getting a little more gun-shy and a little more hesitant. You can make an argument that Danny Chavez won the first round. You can make an argument that Kai Kamaka won the first round. It was a competitive first round. The second round, uh, we get... Uh, it's Again, Kai Kamaka starts off the round good. He's winning the first minute of the first round. And then, bam, eye poke. And I mean colossal eye poke. I didn't think Chavez was going to continue right then and there. I thought that it would probably be a no contest. He looked in a lot of pain. At the very least, if you get poked in the eye and you're just like, oh, whoa, hold up, hold up. Yeah, give me a second, give me a second. There's never going to be a point taken away, ever. The guy can do it to you three times. And the ref will be like, hey, man, watch those fingers. When you sell it and you're on the ground and you're screaming and you're in pain, and I'm not saying he was selling it. I'm saying when you see that happen to a fighter, then you're like, oh, point's getting taken away. Point's getting taken away because now it's uh, affected him. There's one thing to be like, oh, sorry, man, my, my finger grazed you. Uh, give me a minute. Give me two minutes. That's one thing. It's another thing where it's like, yo, man, you just blasted him in the finger. Now he's going to take five minutes, which Chavez seemingly took the entire five minutes. And then when you return, surely you're compromised. Surely your momentum's gone. Surely, you know, you've been sitting on the floor for five minutes. Like you were just fighting a guy in the heat of the combat. Adrenaline's coursing through you. Now you've been sitting here for five minutes worrying about your eye while he's sitting there worrying about what he's going to do to you as soon as you're ready to continue. So huge advantage there for Kai Kamaka. And I really did think that there'd probably be a point deduction from the eye poke. There, however, wasn't a deduction whatsoever. Herb Dean opted to just give him a stiff warning. Now Herb, in said stiff warning, tells him very clearly, hey, I'm going to next time you do any foul, groin kick. He actually specifically mentions groin kick first. Groin kick, any foul, you're going to lose more than a point. Okay, Herb. Herb's a man of his word. More than a point. Okay. All right. All right. Fight resumes and uh, you get a groin kick right away. So the thing there, there was, it wasn't like it was a bad groin kick. Like they showed the replay and it did look like it was more of a graze. The commentating team seemed to think it was a graze. And anybody who bet Kai Kamaka online seemed to think that Chavez was uh, worse than Aljamain Sterling in the acting department. But I mean, like it was another foul. So poor Chavez. So now Herb needs to man up, be a man of his word. Take away two points. Or it said more, more, more than a point. More than a point means either two points in a DQ. The groin kick wasn't bad enough to be a DQ. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked that. But the two points, Herb. Herb, two points. You said it, your word. No. One point. One point. Now, this is where the round resumes. And keep in mind, Kai Kamak had won the first minute of the round. Not that that really matters. But now that they've just been sitting on the floor for five minutes, and then there's been a groin kick, and then there's been a point deduction, and then there's been like a seven-minute lull since that first minute for Kamaka. This round's just now just open. It's neutral. There's three and a half minutes left. We're starting from three and a half minutes. And right off that reset, Chavez is the one coming after him, at least early. You know, Again, he's the more explosive guy, and he does throw these maybe two punches at the most, but he's getting through with a couple left hooks. He's landing a couple eye-catching shots. He's landing a couple decent leg kicks. That second round's close as well. I would say that this thing's a 1-1 fight, but 
there's a point deduction in there. So as long as Chavez doesn't get finished, he's not losing this fight. And he loses the third round. But again, he doesn't get finished. So it's a draw. And that's what they ended up calling it. One judge actually did give it to Kai Kamaka, which I disagree with, but it was a very close fight. And then the other two having it 20 and 28, which is the exact score that I had it. So can't complain too much. The fact is, is that we bet a guy in Danny Chavez, who sure was the underdog, but we thought would win this fight. And the facts are that he lost two of the three rounds. He happened to get a point deduction in the mix, which got him the draw. But I can't take credit and say, oh, yeah, the underdog fucked better than I thought he would. Like, I thought he'd do better than this. And to give Kai Kamaka a little bit of credit, despite all that stuff that happened, um, <clears throat> my knock on him was his cardio. You know, the guy tended to get tired. I mean, we noticed that in a lot of his fights, uh, that by the second round, he starts to slow down rapidly. I mean, he'd been finished in the second round. Uh, he got tired in this fight with Tony Kelly, his debut in the third round. And, you know, maybe his cardio's not looking good. It looked better against TJ Brown, and it looked much improved here. I mean, again, he's full-time out of Las Vegas. I think he's making a lot of improvements. He's still young. He's now getting experience in the UFC, fighting better guys and going the distance with better guys. That's all good stuff for him. I would say that moving forward, Kai Kamaka is still improving. He just shored up a big hole to his game, which is awesome to see. This guy would be alive as a play going forward or someone that's going to develop into the division. Danny Chavez, meanwhile, didn't seemingly make any improvements from his prior two fights in the UFC. He's getting a little bit older. This wasn't the best run for him. I got to probably take off my foot a little bit off the gas. I'm backing this guy moving forward. But again, it always comes down to what kind of stylistic clash that you're going to get. Chris Grutzmacher versus Hafa Garcia. Last fight of the main card. The night's not going terrible at this point, but I mean, we're pretty heavy on Rafa Garcia. Do we want to be heavy on Rafa Garcia? No, no. But this is a pretty barren wasteland of a card. It's hard to trust anybody. And if you've been keeping notes, we've had Philip Rowe dog hit in the first, Zaruk Adeshev dog hit in the second, Jin Frey dog hit in the third, and we've got a draw. So the dogs are barking to this point, but Rafa Garcia is the biggest favorite on the card. He's going to put an end to that. Uh, Chris Grutzmacher hasn't fought in a little while. He looked terrible his last time out. He's been very inactive over the years. He's now 35 years old. He's not exactly the most athletic guy going. And uh, he's known for his durability and his pace. But if his durability is in question after getting knocked his last, getting knocked out in his prior fight, well, that's off the It didn't, didn't matter. Rafa came close. Rafa came close. And in a different universe, Rafa knocks him out in the first round. And everybody talks about how good this guy looked. And he comes in as a minus four, a 400 favorite in his next time out. But in the world that we live in, he comes close to getting that knockout. <clears throat> and when he didn't, Chris Grutzmacher put on a just an absolute vintage Grutzmacher performance. His cardio looked on point. His pace looked on point. And even though it was super sloppy, he's one of these guys that wears on you, wears on you, wears on you. Almost like a non-wrestling version of Darren Elkins. Like, if, oh, geez, it's not the prettiest thing going, but he's just there in your face the entire time. doesn't go away. If you don't kill him, he's just going to keep coming after you. And when it's hard to kill him, it's going to be a hard night. So that first round, Grootsmacher did get dropped. And for the first three minutes, and even a takedown in the mix for Garcia, like it's all Garcia, but I'll give Grootsmacher credit. He took the 10-8 possibility right off the table and actually made a somewhat of an argument that he may have even won the first round because outside of getting owned for the first three minutes, he owned Garcia those last two minutes of that round. He looked awesome. Garcia was slowing already. The pay, the, the, the snap on his punches was not there anymore. Prior to the fight, I was like, oh man, he's training with Justin Gaethje. And he's like, dude, if you're getting tired five minutes into a fight, how are you in there in the gym with Gaethje? The guy doesn't get tired. But it was like, Garcia didn't look good. Cub Swanson this is the strongest guy I've ever grappled with. And all of a sudden, he's got Grootsmacher on the ground. Hey, Grootsmacher gets back up. So a lot of it was narrative, sure. But again, I'm guilty of it. I bought into the narrative that Rafa Garcia actually looked pretty decent. They're touting him as a decent prospect. I thought he looked okay against Nazareth, Hawk Paras. And he took that fight on four days' notice. 
surely we'll get a better version of him here. But yeah, man, just I, I forget who mentioned on the broadcast team. They're like, well, in the Nazareth fight, because he was on short notice, he took his time and conserved himself. And that's why he was able to go some later rounds. But in this fight, he just came out guns a blazing in the first three minutes. And then it turns out his cardio is not as good as we thought. So it was a bad read there in the tape study. It was a bad read in general. And uh, Grootsmacher did a good job of coming back in the first, but it's still a Garcia round. Sure. Now Garcia just needs to win one of the next two rounds. And even though he's tiring, going to be a problem. Second round, all Grootsmacher easily outstrikes him. Grootsmacher basically outstruck him in every round. Um, got hurt in the first, but his just his pace and his output was, was just money. And then the third round, I know I'm screwed at this point, but it is 1-1 one, one fight. So, I mean, I've seen crazier thing happens. We just need Garcia to, to muster one together. And geez, he fought a decent third round, all things considered. He's obviously tired. He's tired more now than he was in the third. And Grootsmacher worked the body, man. His organs would have been like beef stew. Like, my God, every combination ended with a liver shot. Knees to the body, combinations to the body. Shoe shined him off the cage a few times. Like, Grootsmacher invested into the body. So the fact that Garcia is even standing in the third round is a testament to his toughness. But the fact that he mustered in those takedowns, and I mean, the first one's all muscle, boom, hits a nice takedown. He's so gassed out, he just settles into like a guard and holding Grootsmacher down. The ref's warning it up on the stand-up, but ref, come on, get let him work here. Like he, he's, he's invested a lot of energy to this point. This fight's 1-1, it's close. Don't screw him on a stand-up. And so he had little pitter-patter punches, but he didn't really do nothing with it. And then in the finally, fight gets stand-up standing. You see Grootsmacher land for a few seconds, and then boom, Garcia ends up with another takedown. So as far as I'm concerned, who won the fight or who won the grappling match, right? Because who won the fight? Grootsmacher. Grootsmacher has struck him every round. He's got this guy tired. He's got this guy hurt. He's worked this guy's body. Uh, if this thing goes on for a fourth and fifth round, like Garcia's getting put away, but in a three-round situation, who won this fight? It was definitely Grootsmacher, right? Who won the round by round? Well, well, he got that knockdown in the first, and he got those two takedowns in the third. And had they awarded Garcia the split decision or they would have awarded Garcia the decision, I don't think you could have screened robbery, even though I probably disagree with that call. Because, yeah, yeah, he landed a couple takedowns. I hate that I always have to bring this up, but it's the same bullshit as Wonderboy Thompson versus versus Gilbert Burns. Thompson knocked him down in the third round. Thompson did the damage in the third round, and then Burns took him down and held him down for three minutes. Well, who won that round? The guy that did the damage and the guy that held him down for three minutes. But the judges agreed that the guy with the takedown and the control won the round. Not the case here. That's not what they thought. Because if you were going to go with that train of thought, then Rafa Garcia won this fight. He won the first round. He won the third round. He got the takedowns in the third. He got the control in the third. But, yeah, he just didn't do nothing with it whatsoever. And had he thrown a few more punches, well, that would have created a little bit more space, and Chris Grootsmacher would have probably used that space to scramble, get back up, and work him over. So he knew he couldn't let his hands go. He knew, I just need to hold this man down. And where some judges would reward that, these judges happen not to. So lose that one. That officially kills all these UFC parlays. I was not high in this UFC card to begin with. We still, whatever. We still got a few fun fights. Well, we got a bunch of fun fights coming up. It's not like we're tuning out of the card. I just mean like from a financial standpoint, outside of like a few little money line plays or a few little prop plays here and there. Yeah, the, the parlays got absolutely torched. And now heading to the main card. And of course, before we jump into main card action, we've got to go with everybody's favorite DraftKings read. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, their top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for the listeners. Listen to this great offer. Place a pre-event wager of $1 to 
it, you're eligible. $1 bet. You're eligible to make $150 in free credit if America wins any medals this week. That's 100 to 1 odds to any American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 to 1 odds. An offer like this doesn't come around. It's basically free money. And if you want to get in on the action, you can do so by signing up at DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on it. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DOP when you sign up. Turn $1.00 into $100 in free credit if America wins a medal. That's code DOP to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And so then we get Jason Witt versus Brian Barberina. I'm almost glad in hindsight my parlays were torched because, man, I spent all week telling Paul Shaughnessy that this is what was going to happen. Jason Witt can wrestle. He's got a James Krause's camp, Gloria Main Fitness in Kansas. They're going to have a great game plan. He's going to come in. He's going to use his size. He's going to look to take this fight down. Brian Barberina, meanwhile, isn't the same Brian Barberina of old. He had given up five takedowns his last time out against Ivy. Uh, it was a bad performance. He's ballooned up to nearly 220, 230 pounds. He's had multiple surgeries. His back's hurting. He's getting older. He's not performing to the same level. His durability is not quite there anymore. Well, his durability is still, you know, it's there, but it's not legendary. There was a time where he could go toe-to-toe with any man in the world and give them an absolute run. And then you've seen Randy Brown cut right through him. It's like he's starting to get hurt in there a little bit more. Then the layoffs, then the surgeries. I just didn't think he would come out there looking all that good. And he's the second biggest favorite on the card. Go figure, because the first biggest favorite on the card had just lost. And he's like a minus 280 favorite. He did Money did come down on wit come fight time. But I still think he went off as a minus 250 favorite. So again, Brian Barberino is one of the more popular guys this week. And I just didn't see it. And I spent all this time telling Paul exactly what was going to happen. But I finished, I concluded it with, I'm too much of a coward to bet with myself. And so I don't want much investment of Brian Barberina, but as far as parlay goes and greasy parlays go, Brian Barberina will be on those parlays. Thankfully, those parlays were all dead because uh, it, it went exactly how I thought it was going to go, but I was too much of a coward to bet it myself. Jason Witt went out. He used the wrestling. He used his size. First round, I mean, he fights a really measured approach. And what I like when they're in the apex and there is no crowd is that um, you can hear the corn. Depends on the corner. Some corners, you barely hear them at all. But certain people that are super articulate and loud, you can almost hear the entire round. You can hear all the instructions. James Krause is that coach. Everything he was saying was audible at home if you were listening to it with the volume up. Uh, It was clear. It was concise. And it was extremely smart. Don't brawl with this guy, right? Stay in the center of the ring. Stay, you know, use, use the distance. Use the range. Use those kicks. Set up these takedowns. Beautiful game plan. That's exactly what he need to do. That's exa- exactly what he did do. And in the first round, it's just like those two takedowns. I mean, those are money for him. Bry Barberina looks small at this weight class. I mean, he's not exactly the biggest guy going. Yeah, he has ballooned up to 220 pounds. But as far as his frame goes, he's got the frame of a 155 pounder at best. He was never the most ripped up guy. He was never the best in shape guy. He just had the heart of a lion and the durability to and cardio to just keep going, keep going, keep going. And Homer Simpson affect you, really. You know, you'd be beating on him for the first little bit. And then once you got tired, he was able to take over. 
but in the first round, it's just like the size was apparent. Wit was too big for him. He's too strong for him. The wrestling was on point. He took him down. He grinded him. He wins the first round. The second round, it's like, again, you would always see these moments where Brian Barberian would land a good strike. And it was like, uh-oh, he's got him hurt. He's got his attention. But Wit did an excellent job. Again, perfect advice from Krause. Whenever he would get hit, it's like, get out of there. He did a good job of not really engaging the brawls. Sometimes he'd step in and let his hands go, and they'd be in a uh, the pocket, and they'd exchange strikes. But he'd always get wobbled in those exchanges. And again, they did a good job of being like, stop it, and he'd get back out, go back to his wrestling, get the wrestling. So this one's pretty clear 2 nothing wit going into the third. But that's the glory about MMA, is that you're never out of it. And in Brian Barberina's case, he's kind of made a career out of this. You know, sure, you can beat him up for the first two rounds, but he's still there. And for Wit, like, really the only one knock on him his entire career is that he's got a glass chin. You know, like, he's been knocked out quite a few times. He's been wobbled and stunned quite a few times. I mean, taking on a guy in Bar Brian Barberina that's just going to keep coming at you, probably not going to go all that well. And so, again, that's exactly what happened. And uh, in the third round, Wit, maybe he's getting a little bit more tired. Maybe Brian Barberina realizes he's down two rounds, but he comes at him. He lets his hands go, and he starts to hit him, and he starts to hurt him. Wit is getting blasted. He's on rubber legs. He's on skates basically the majority of the round. And then gets not. I, I thought he got knocked down. I see Fight Metric only scored it two to one. I had it, or sorry, uh, one knockdown for um, Wit the entire fight. No knockdown for Brian Barberina. I thought I saw it, two knockdowns for Wit, one for Brian Barberina, plus a headbutt. But this was a wild round, man. Again, Wit has heavy power. And like you could see he when he would drop Brian Barberina, he'd just club him with two big shots. Brian Barberina would hit the ground and then recover right away. When Brian would hit Wit, it wasn't like he was just hitting the ground and then popping up right away. It's just like his legs would immediately go out. Brian would try to circle him up, get him, but the guy's too big and strong. He'd get a hold of him, press him up against the cage, get that takedown. This is a thrilling round, man. Finally, there's 20 seconds left in the round. Brian Barberina nails him. His mouthpiece comes flying out. There's 17 seconds left. Motherfucker bends over to pick up his own mouthpiece in the midst of the heat, in the midst of the action. He's up two rounds. He's 17 seconds away from winning this fight, and he's just so concussed in there. No idea how much time is left. No idea what's going on. He just bends over and tries to pick up his mouthpiece. And thank God he didn't get knocked out because that would be like one of the most infamous moments of all time. It would be like the David Gardner Hello Japan against Shinya Aoki, where it's like, what, the mo so bonehead. Why would you do that? Why, you, why would you do that and cost yourself the fight? That's what it would have been. It would have lived on highlight reels for years to come. You know, guy's about to win a fight, bends over to pick up his own mouthpiece with 17 seconds left and gets KO'd as a result. But he picks up the mouthpiece, he like half jams it in his face, gets punched six more times, and then to his credit, man, got a hold of Brian Barberina, pressed him up in, into the cage, killed the clock. So this one's a tough one to debate. On the one hand, thrilling fight. Give these guys 50 Gs. Give them more than 50 Gs, man. Hell of a fight, you know? Uh, maybe not the most technical one going, but on the entertainment side of things, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. But how do you score this thing? So the first round's Jason Witt. At 10 9. The second round is Jason Witt 10 9. Although he did have Brian Barrain hurt a couple times, they were more like it was like flash hurt. I shouldn't say a flash knockdown, but it was like he'd zap him and stun him quick, but then Brian would recover right away. So I don't really give that too much like, well, you almost finished him. So again, this is just a 10 9 round, is all I'm getting at. And then you've got this third round. How do you score this third round? Should that not be a 10 8 round for Brian Barberina? I mean, he, I, I said knocked him down at least once, but. He had him hurt, man. He had him on rubber legs. He had him almost out of there twice. He's all over him. And even though Witt did an extremely good job of hanging on, fighting his way back into it, 
doing what he needed to do. It was still an absolute drubbing from Brian Barbarena, no? So I thought they got it. See, I thought they got it right, and that they get, that Jason Witt won the fight, and he did win the fight. You can't you can't show that much heart and that much perseverance and that much guts and walk away with a draw, right? So Witt was the winner, and I'm glad he got the win. But as far as how do you score rounds, should that maybe not have been a ten eight for Brian Barbarena? I'm not sure. It didn't matter to me anyways. But uh, again, so now now the theme is that you've got uh, Philip Rowe, dog, Adeshev, dog, Jin Freight, dog, Danny Chavez was a push, Grootsmacher was the dog, and Jason Witt was the dog. Underdogs are absolutely crushing this card. It is getting smoked up. Sure, they're fun fights, but as of a betting side of things, it would have been much better to just spam bet all the underdogs. You know, money line, no parlays, dog, 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 dog. Would have been good. But that's a coulda, shoulda, woulda. Moving on because the first favorite finally hits. Melsic Bagdasarian taking on Con- Colin Anglin. Bagdasarian, uh, the hype's definitely there. Everyone talks about how good he is. We saw him on Contender Series. He's got very advanced striking, but it's just sometimes when you're young and you're green and you're out of Edmund Tverdian's camp, who knows how good you realistically are. They're going to have to test you against some better guys to see uh, the improvements. In Bagdasarian's case, I mean, some guys that I know that are like kind of in the know with him say he's he's legit. The striking's on point. He struck at a very high level. By his own account, I mean, he mentioned a post-fight says he's got over 200 fights in kickboxing, both amateur and professional. The guy's very, very solid striker. But, you know, what about the wrestling? What about the grappling? What about the MMA cardio? What about a guy grinding on you? So those are all the X factors that, you know, he's minus 150. Uh, he was the play. We did pick him. But all the same, like, <laughs> these are the kind of guys you should have made your entire top ticket on. You know, th- those solid guys. I just didn't have enough faith pre-fight to believe that, he wouldn't be in trouble if he got taken down. Or his cardio wasn't necessarily a little bit suspect. On the contender series, he had an awesome first round, but did kind of slow down in the second and the third round. Anglin's undefeated. Anglin's a young, good-looking kid. Seems like he's got some okay skills. Like, why couldn't he go out there and test him? But, yeah, the striking is just way too on point for Bagdasarian. I mean, he had his way. Anglin never really got comfortable. He did score a takedown, but, again, you saw Bagdasarian just scramble, get back up to his feet. I mean, definitely making improvements to his wrestling game. Definitely making improvement to his all-around uh, skill set. But that's striking, man. That striking's money. And even the head kick that puts Anglin away in the end, like it is blocked. It's partially blocked. But when you're coming in with that much power and it wraps around, it just is still a crushing blow. This is no this is a small setback for Anglin, but he's still young. He lost to a legitimate guy and he didn't look terrible in there. He'll definitely come back, go back to the drawing board and come back a better fighter, I'm sure. But for Melsic, it's just like, damn, we got a legitimate contender. Don't move him around, don't give him contender fights right now. You know, he still needs more building block fights. He still needs to take on a wrestler. He still needs to take on a high-level grappler. He still needs to take on a cardio freak, someone that's going to push a pace on him. Like, he still needs to develop, but it does look like there's something legitimate here that you can work with. And when you already have world-class kickboxing skills, just adding the other skills to the game and keeping this fight standing, you're going to be a serious problem for a lot of guys. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of guys that are rushing to sign up to fight him right away unless, you know, they're All-American wrestlers and they think, that uh, that's the path of victory, but yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're getting slapped. So, so I'll perform from Melsic for sure. Jared Gooden versus Nicholas Stolze. Again, good thing my parlays are dead at this point because it was nice to see Jared Gooden win. But if I had anything active, why was Stolze even on anything? Again, I'd like to bring it back to a testament of how bad this card was. Is that uh, you had guys like Stolze as a two to one favorite? My my whole thing here was honestly the narrative. I knew that Jared Gooden was short notice. I knew that the guy comes in very very heavy. He's missed weight four or five times in his career. Not saying he's unprofessional. I just mean you know the weight cuts are huge for him. 
And to take a fight on short notice and to have to come down and make weight in time, I don't know, dude. The guy's an absolutely monstrous 170-pound fighter. And again, by his own account, he had to cut 44 pounds or 40 pounds in four days. So that that's going to be one hell of a go. And he does make the weight. How much is he going to take out of him? I don't know. And Stolze had never been knocked out. You know, he's got four pro losses, but they're all by decision. One of them was split decision, the other three unanimous, but the guy had seemingly had durability. So kind of, again, I hyped way too much on the narrative for this one is that I really thought that Jared Gooden would probably get a little tired, at least slow down after the first. Stolze's durability would be enough to carry him to some later rounds and that eventually he would just be able to take out on, on uh, take over on output. But my God, that right hand by Jared Gooden is a is a thing of beauty in that. And he's got a lot of power on him, man. If you see them guys' pectorals, you will not want to get hit by him. And he completely flatlined Stoltz. So first time Stoltz ever been finished, but solid win by Jared Gooden. He was previously 0-2 in the UFC, but they gave him a Bubakar Nurmagomedov, and they gave him Alan Joban. Like, that's a tough go. Now your third fight. Backs up against the wall. You're 0-2. Um, your back's up against the wall and you take a fight on four days notice and cut 40 pounds to make it. That's not putting yourself in the best position to succeed, but that's exactly what he did. He took the risk, no risk, no reward. Got his UFC win first, first victory within the company. Uh, nice, solid KO, something to put on the highlight reel and his career moves on. I know Daniel Levy's friends with him personally, been hyping the guy up for a long time. And this is well-deserved because again, the two guys he had lost to were absolute studs. And when he got that step down, he blew right through him and proved that he's a legitimate talent. So really cool to see from Jared Gooden, uh, but only cool because the parlays were done. I would have been upset otherwise. And again, uh, I kind of let, I didn't let anybody down. I think we all talked about how this card was shit and you could have taken any cappers advice on this card and probably not done too well. Everybody got lit up for the most part, unless you kept it really simple. That was the key. Keep it really simple. But as far as us guys that make full fight card predictions, wasn't going to go all that good, but the, I let myself down and then like, why would I have any faith in Stoltz and, uh, the only two ones in Yoder? I don't even care about the Rafa Garcia thing. Sure. He was overvalued, but like, I still got that one, but Stoltz and Yoder, like, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't a good, that wasn't, I should have just, I, I can't say you should have left them off the ticket. I would have got a hundred tweets. Like what did the fuck get canceled? So it's like, no, but man, I hate betting on people like that, especially as favorites. So moving on, I'm getting torched here. We got the first two fights right, and then outside of a draw in a fight that we actually lost two of the three rounds, oh, man, this is not going good. Not going good whatsoever. I'm being entertained. The fights are fun, but as far as like the picks go, as the preview picks go, not good. We got Cheyenne Bice coming in against Gloria DePaula as the new co-main event. We had Ronnie Yaya. Jeez, the way the underdogs are winning, why couldn't Ronnie Yaya stay on this card? And got me another dog hit there. You know, one that I backed and it got canceled. But we got Cheyenne Bice as Gloria DePaula as the new co-main event. And uh, yeah, good good fight. We're on the Cheyenne Bice side of things. So that was positive. Um, but th this could have been a disqualification just as easily the other way. So it was it was a good start to the fight. You saw that Baez was coming out. She was striking, was pretty looking pretty good. And DePaula had some pretty good striking as well. Cheyenne Baez is able to get that easy takedown. I thought this would be a good path for her is just use those takedowns. Do exactly what Montserrat Ruiz did to you. You know, use that head and arm throw. Toss this girl to the ground. And don't just strictly mix it up standing. Now when the fight does eventually get back to the feet, she's a little bit more hesitant about that takedown coming. You can open up with your striking a little bit more. But when she's scrambling to get back up to her feet, that it's an illegal kick when Cheyenne buys throws it. It's a legal kick by the time it lands. Like her fingertips are down, her hands are down. 
and just as she's lifting it and now mind you you got your hand down and you see a kick coming towards you as a human being your your first natural reaction would be to like to like to speed it up to be like oh shit something's coming out of my head right and like that that half an inch that her finger got off the canvas made it a legal kick and Cheyenne man just boots her right in the face and uh and then immediately follows her up to the ground. Now, I always rip on this ref because I think he's probably the worst in the game. And this is another terrible call. He looks at the commission to basically ask if it was a, a legal kick or not because he wasn't certain, even though he was the closest guy to the action. He's just like, was that illegal? You're not even looking at the fight. You could have been like, hey, man, was that legal? No, no. He turns. Hey, man, was that legal? Dude, she just got kicked in the face. She's on the ground. It looked like she was trying to get out of the mount. Like the one hand was stiff, but it was on the hip, trying to create space defending. But as the one hip, the hand was on the hip, her whole face is exposed. And she just ate like four or five solid shots. She herself looked stiff to Paula. It looked like you stop this fight now. And yet, just a, just a bad stoppage, bad stoppage. And again, it could have been a disqualification had the hand be on the ground. But it wasn't, and so it's a highlight reel KO for Cheyenne buys. Everyone suddenly, you know, oh, that's her realizing her potential. But if the fingertips were a little bit lower, she got DQ'd. Everyone would have been like, what a bust, man. This girl's 0-2 in the UFC. Fraud, fraud. So it's a, it's an unforgiving game, man. It really is. But on this night, we were on Team Cheyenne buys. so happy to see her get the victory and not have to follow anybody home. And then the main event, Sean Strickland versus Uriah Hall. Again, we're on Sean Strickland, but by this point, you know, financially, nothing really matters. I thought that he was a little bit big of a favorite minus 200, but he's got the output. And then that's, this is part of when you're cabbing a fight, you look back at all the previous body of work and it tells you the story. The story of Uriah Hall is that he's super explosive. He's got big power. He's capable of ending your night, but he's not a big output guy. You know, he, his numbers fall off. He kind of waits on that big strike a little bit too much. Nice jab, quick jab, power in his hands. But it's mostly that big knee, you know? It's mostly that that big shot that you don't see coming. And he sometimes waits a little bit too long to get going with his striking. Str Sean Strickland is quite the opposite. I mean, he's basically, uh, he's not like Colby Covington, who's very much just, uh, you know, a MAGA guy. But he's going down that route of just try to make yourself as unlikable as you possibly can and polarize the fans, right? Because some of them will still like you. People like Colby Covington still. People like Sean, Str Sean Strickland. But the vast majority of people fucking hate you. And, but they'll, they'll still tune in to watch you fight. Almost everything he said in the pre-fight leading up to this fight was some of the stupidest stuff I've ever seen in my life. But I'm still entertained to some degree. It still built up the fight to some degree. And he kind of comes off as a straight-up meathead who just wants to get in there and fight. And when the fight starts, that's what he does. He comes at you. First round was awesome by Sean Strickland. I mean, he threw just everything. Lots of jabs, of course. Jab was a, you know, a big cornerstone of his all-round game. But, I mean, he the volume was on point. Raya Hall just couldn't keep up with him. Second, third, fourth, and fifth round, as he starts to slow down, you saw Hall have some moments. But, again, it's like he would snap back Strickland's head and then Strickland would just come back on him. The output was there. In the third round, I'm thinking Hall might be able to work his way back into this fight a little bit. The second round for Hall was much better. First round, he gets his ass kicked. Second round's much better. He's starting to find himself. He's starting to find his rhythm. And as Strickland, his numbers are starting to fall off. He's not throwing 100 significant strikes like the first as his numbers start to fall off, now it's fighting Hall's game plan, where he only wants to throw one or two at a time and then try to land that big shot. You know, he partially lands with a spinning back kick. He starts to find a little bit of rhythm. Going into the third, it's like maybe he's going to be able to work his way back into it, but then he got... There's a right hand that lands, and he's like stiffened right up. And then Sean Strickland grabs him and takes him down, which I'm sure Sean Strickland didn't really want to do. He was kind of looking to strike in this fight. 
but he takes him down. And I think a big part of that takedown was just like Hall was like outstanding. And then as soon as he hits the ground, it wakes him back up. And then to his credit, he recovers and survives. But from that point on, it was like he got really hurt in that third. That third was all Sean Strickland. And then the fourth and the fifth, I just thought that he never really recovered. He kind of had his back against the fence. Sean Strickland's never been five rounds, so it was understandable that he would start to tire. But he kept doing exactly what he had to do. He's defensively not the most responsible guy going. I mean, he's there, he leaves a ton of openings. And you can see a really high-level striker picking them apart. But again, he's got a pressure game. He's got a nice long jab on him. He could theoretically mix in his wrestling if he needed to. But he's just the kind of guy that comes at you. In that fifth round, he let it all on the line. He was basically just slugging. But yeah, I mean, it was the fifth round. His first time going to uncharted territories in that fifth round. And he gets the win. So overall, very entertaining card from a from a pick standpoint. Absolutely blown up. As I mentioned earlier, we got the first two right. We got the last two right. Everything in the middle was just an absolute... Hand grenade, right? What can you do? Um, we got another card coming up next week. Believe it's a pay-per-view. Nice big offering. So it's nice to get back to some higher quality fights and uh, not have these crazy cards where just anything can happen. Although it's MMA, a sport predicated on the idea and the concept of anything can happen. That's why we love it. That's why we watch it. Watch it. And uh, yeah, I mean, as far as UFC Vegas 33 goes, not exactly the most successful outing from a financial standpoint, but from an entertainment standpoint, very good. So that's all I got here. I'm going to then go shoot a Bellator recap for the pure fact that that card actually went really good. And I get excited about that one. So I'll leave you to it. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again to DraftKings Sportsbook for hooking us up, sponsoring the show, and Pat Mayo for giving us the platform on the Pat Mayo Media Network, the Mayo Media Network. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you guys next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.